It's the summer of 2023 and comics fans know what that means. Crossovers and new series. Which relaunch DC and Marvel series are worth reading? Stick around to find out on this week's episode of the Nerd By Word Podcast. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome to episode 153 of the Nerd Byword Podcast. My name is Dave. I'm here with my buddy Chris. And in this week's episode, we will be discussing new number ones issued from both DC and Marvel. New relaunched series. Are they worth reading? Do we have a strong start to a new good series? Or do they flounder and fall apart in the process? But before we dive into that particular big talk, it is time first for... All right, Chris, I'm actually really hyped about the news you're reporting this week. What have you got? Yeah, so um, Al Ewing has quickly become my favorite writer in the comic book medium. Um, The work that he's been doing on X-Men Red is spectacular. Um, I've done his complete Marvel run. Well, most of it. Most of it. I I still have some some spots to fill in. Um, Mighty Avengers into... Um, Secret Avengers, uh, U.S. Avengers, great stuff, great stuff, um, and has really done uh, Ultimates and the Ultimates Two, not the not the naked one we reviewed a couple of episodes ago, um, the the main universe, the six one six Ultimates, a uh, great title, highly recommend. As I've recommended before, um, and then I guess what really kind of catapulted him uh, into like the upper echelon as far as mainstream uh, comic book readers was his run on Immortal Hulk. Um, and, and for good reason, it's, it's a masterpiece. It's complete, you know, 50 issues is just, it's the, 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 I think the true mark of why Immortal Hulk is so great is it takes a character that I'm kind of ambivalent on, like just casually, I'm a Hulk enjoyer. Uh, I typically don't seek out Hulk comic books just because it just doesn't grab me. It's not a character I particularly relate to closely, but the the hubbub and the buzz got me. Um, and I I love Ewing's work so much, Dave. I'm almost ready to read his Venom run, and that's that's saying something. You know how we both feel about symbiotes. Um, and yeah. and 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 Rom V is on that title too. I I might just have to check it out. We now have, this was announced in the latest round of solicits as of the time of recording, coming in August, Immortal Thor, my favorite writer on my favorite Marvel character outside of Spider-Man and the X-Men. Um, it, it's just like, a, it's a dream come true. And then when you read like the actual news story, it's just really fascinating to see, you know, as fellow creatives, of course, I'm nowhere near uh, on the level of an Al Ewing, but, um, you know, in our respective fields, just like the willingness to self challenge. So if you, if you read the kind of the press release, he put immortal on the book and he pitched the book himself into like, you know, some, some people would be just content in the success and you don't want to like tempt fate a second time, you know, 
so many times we have like a sequel to a beloved movie and it just falls flat. Sorry, Anchorman two. Um, and, um, and, and, and from the looks of it, good burger two does not look promising. And I've waited 20 years for that one. Um, but, but Ewing said this was a self challenge and, and wanted to put that adjective, that moniker of immortal on a book. Um, I'm reading a direct quote here, uh, putting immortal on a book, I'm writing as a promise to the reader and to myself. I was the one who pitched the title, not editorial, not anyone else. And it was basically a self-challenge. Can I do a book like that again? Can I do my end of it better this time? I have to try because the alternative is just lie down and let the grass grow where I fell. I want to take another swing at the ball. And this time, I don't just want to knock it into the outfield. I want to hit it right out of the park and stroll calmly around the bases I want to write something that goes as far and as hard and as powerful as the other book did to give a similar experience to the people who supported that book and supported me through it. And it took some uh, took something deep out of it, but with the benefit of experience, uh, end quote. And I, I just could not be more hyped for this. I know um, just in listening to interviews, um, both on Cerebro and on our friend Ash on X of Words, talking with Al, just like how much he loves this character and just listening to his creative process uh, is just fascinating to me. So I could not be more hyped for a comic book, man. Yeah, I'm right there with you, actually. Uh, uh, The way you feel about Hulk is pretty much how I have felt in the past about Thor. You know, a a character that's kind of totally, you know, inoffensive to me, but it's not something that I necessarily seek out, especially in solo runs. I did enjoy the Straczynski run from uh, many moons ago quite a bit. Um, But but beyond that, I never really followed the character that closely until you started nerd-commending me Thor runs. And I've, you know, I've, I've enjoyed what I've read a great deal. Um, but this uh, it, this has the potential to be on a whole nother level. It's a it's very much a big swing because Ewing's Immortal Hulk was the book uh, for for me while it was on the stands. Like it just you know the the horror tinge of it, uh, the approach that he took to the character, um, you know how how uh, just the, the whole vibe of it. It just had such a vibe to it. I don't think there's a better way to describe it. It had such a unique feel to it when you're reading it compared to other books on the stands. If he can bring um, something that innovative and unique to Thor, man, I'm gonna be all over that book. I cannot wait to see what he does with it. And I neglect to mention uh, the artist on this, uh, I believe, is Martin Kokolo. Um, and I think <clears throat> just putting everything out there on the table, I think one of the the things that you have to take into context when you talk about Immortal Hulk is Joe Bennett and and the and the, everything that goes in with that. For those of you that don't know, Joe Bennett is rabidly anti-Semitic. Um, just like snuck in some like disgusting stuff into immortal Hulk. Um, and so um, it is a difficult thing to like kind of inject into such a well-beloved title. And so the art that I'm seeing from this uh, looks fantastic. Um, and I kind of did a deep dive because I'm not familiar with Kokolo's work and I apologize for mispronouncing that. Um, and I'm very, even more excited now. Um so it's it's a, it's a great time and and to be honest as a thor fan it's it's becoming an embarrassment of riches in in that we've never really had a bad thor run um i'm reading you know walt simonson's legendary run i'm i'm working my way towards um 
Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends when they take over. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, JMS, who I think the world of based on his Spider-Man work. So I'm excited to get to that as well. Then you go into Jason Aaron. I really like what Donny Cates did. I love what Torin Grombeck's doing right now. And now Al Ewing takes over. So it's it's a great time to be a Thor fan right now. Yeah, Thor fans are eating very well right now. All right, so we are staying in the Marvel Universe, but through a different medium, Dave. Yeah, and you know, take this stuff with a grain of salt, but I think it's still worth discussing because there's so many corners um, of the the movie rumor mill that are echoing this and saying that they, they have reliable insiders uh, that, that are confirming that this is correct. And that is that the Fantastic Forecast apparently has been set... Um, and, uh, you know, again, take this with a grain of salt. A lot of this is rumor right now. Uh, nothing official from uh, Marvel or Disney. However, uh, the cast as um, set right now would be Adam Driver as Reed Richards, Margot Robbie as Sue Storm, Paul Mescal as Johnny Storm, and David Dix as uh, The Thing. Uh, so uh, just a quick rundown, Driver, uh, our, our listeners probably know best as Kylo Ren from the Star Wars trilogy. Uh, Robbie's very um, accomplished in, in multiple different uh, ventures. Uh, she's going to be in the upcoming Barbie movie, for example, but she's probably best known to nerds as the DC. Which looks incredible. Which it, looks it, incredible. Uh, I am here for Barbie. Oh, my God. Yeah. It, it, it looks hilarious. Um, Mascal is actually not a big star, um, but apparently it's going to be in Ridley Scott's Gladiator sequel is what I'm seeing here. Um, and, and Diggs, of course, uh, you know, had a breakout role in Hamilton and has popped up since in both Snowpiercer and the upcoming or recently released Little Mermaid live action movie. Um, so, I mean, uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to, to comment too much on this since we don't know if this is official, but it's an interesting cast to be sure. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I'm 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 intrigued by this. Um it's it's funny that some people have such strong opinions on this. I'm kind of meh on this. Um I I think the world of Margot Robbie. Um I'm super excited, like I said, for the Barbie movie. I think she's perfect as Harley Quinn. Um so I think that is probably the first at first glance, the one that, that strikes me the most. And I think I think that's great because with with um Sue Storm, Sue Richards, like you, you gotta have like a, a strong presence there. Um, Adam Driver, I'm kind of meh on. Like I think he's a talented actor, but I don't. I think he's almost become a caricature. So I'm, I'm kind of pressing the pause button on that one. Um, so, I, so I'm not sure. Uh, Mescal, I'm not familiar with his work at all, so I can't really comment. Um, and then David Diggs, I, I I haven't I don't think that I've seen anything. I think he's done some voice work in movies that I've seen, but I've heard great things about David Diggs' work. So I'm intrigued by that. Um, kind of saddened that it's three out of four white characters, but what are you gonna do? It's Fantastic Four. <laughs> um, so I, I'm kind of I'm kind of meh overall, but Fantastic Four has never been my go-to thing. Um, yeah, out of the four, Ben is is probably my favorite member, and so David Diggs it seems like a solid casting for that, I guess. See, I I like the Fantastic Four a lot more than than you do, I think. Um, and I'm I'm deeply unsure about this cast. Uh, it's just a matter of I think kicking back and seeing what they do with it. I think 
I think with the Fantastic Four, uh, so much hinges on the script and the tone that they're they're planning on taking with this movie. Um, I, I think you know not that not that the casting is not important, but I think the script is going to be so much more important than the tone that they're trying to strike, because uh, the Fantastic Four should feel very different from other stuff that the MCU is doing. You know, there should be a a different kind of sci-fi edge to it. Um, it should be very much you know focused on on the on the notion of family. You know, um, th- this. I don't know, man. Uh, it's it's hard telling. You know, a Driver, for example, um, m- makes me think that they're going to lean into that character characterization as of of Reed Richards as like this cold, distant dude. Um, and I always thought that that's sort of you know an overblown stereotype that he's been you know stuck with because in in many comics I've read he is not the cold, distant, weird dude. Um, so I I don't quite understand you know that 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 particular tendency of, of fans to go there. Uh, Robbie's great. I'm a, I'm almost a little afraid when it comes to like these these you know uh, nerd projects that she's uh, gonna end up kind of over being overexposed, I guess. Um, and and you just you know you don't see Sue Storm, you just see Barbie or Harley Quinn at that point because she's been in so many you know big projects. I don't know. It, it's I, I'm 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 iffy. Um, wait and see. I guess is the best approach to this one. Yeah, I think I'm intrigued by this. Um... With 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 Matt Shackman as as the director, he famously worked on Wandavision, and if so, you know a lot of people have proposed making the Fantastic Four like a period piece, um, because I think that's the most of of the Marvel like Silver Age, you know, like bursting forth. That's the one that's probably most kind of indicative of its time period that it was created in it's the most 60s if you will um so i'm kind of intrigued by that i think it would be it i think it would be interesting because you know that there's no way they're going to make a fantastic four period piece and then leave these characters somehow in the past they want them to be able to have team-ups with the avengers and fantastic four i think you, you can do the captain america approach and have your cake and eat it too you know where they you know, you have an origin movie that takes place in the 60s and make it a period piece. And then they go on some kind of weird space adventure or something. And then, you know, time dilation or whatever, by the time they come back, suddenly it's modern day, you know, and then you have, you have something that's maybe missing a little bit since, um, you know, Steve Rogers is quote unquote retired, which is the sort of fish out of water thing, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and you can still have sort of your cake and eat it too with that approach. Yeah, and I I totally agree with you with your sentiment that it it has to be the the behind the camera stuff that makes it work. The the, the cast the cast it, it seems solid enough. Um and I think that's been the the sticking point with previous iterations. We're not we're not going to recognize uh we're not going to acknowledge the abomination. We're just going to burn that with fire. Uh um, Fantastic yeah we're we're not going to acknowledge that but the but the uh the chris the chris evans um michael chiklis uh ian griffood uh and jessica alba you know we recently revisited the first one i think that cast is darn near perfect and yes jessica alba too for you bros out there yeah she was great that writing was poor the writing was poor the direction was Whatever it was, I think um, everybody in that first film uh, was perfectly cast. Uh, maybe, maybe Doctor Doom, being just like the weird dude from Nip Tuck, um, 
I'm blanking on his name. I think it was on Charm too, but he was he was weird. But I I I don't think the cast has ever been the issue. Even with fans four stick, let's 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 tap dance into it. I don't think the cast was a problem there. That was just a you know what show all around. I don't know what was happening with that. I don't think the cast was the problem. Yeah, I think I think that's one hundred percent accurate. I think that they were certainly trying to make one kind of movie and then had the course correct halfway through to try to make it a little bit more superhero-y in the in the third act. And there's a tonal dissonance there. I think the approach was all wrong for a Fantastic Four project from the word go. It was very different for sure. Um, but as a way very of like edgelord, estab- very yeah. edgelord. Yeah, I think as a way of establishing the essence of what the Fantastic Four are on the big screen, it, it, it was just the wrong approach from the word go. Um, however, I, you know, I would have been interested to see what this movie would have looked like without the interference, you know, f- f- trying to shoehorn it back into um, a, sort of a traditional superhero movie in the third act. Okay, don't we're we're not starting a campaign for a Trask cut or whatever. No, no, I will. <laughs> say, I don't. I don't think there's a good Fantastic Four movie in there one way or another. I think there might at most be an uh, an interesting uh, experiment in superhero storytelling in there, but all wrong for the Fantastic Four from top to bottom. Alrighty, folks. Well, there you have it. What do you think of the rumored cast for Fantastic Four? What are your thoughts on Immortal Thor? Find us on social media at Nerd by Word or individually at that Nerd Dave and at that Nerd Chris. We'd love to hear more. Uh, we're going to go ahead and head into a quick break, but when we come back, it's time for the big talk where we're talking about new number ones from DC and Marvel Comics. So stick around. <laughs> Ladies and gentle nerds, we're back, and it's time to talk about new number ones issued from DC and Marvel, relaunched series. Uh, Are they taking the right approach? Uh, Are they enticing? Do we think that there's a really good series being kicked off here? We're going to talk about four different series in this week's... All right, so Chris, uh, here here's what I figured we do. Uh, we're going to go ahead and swap back and forth between uh, Marvel and DC. Um, I've pulled up all the solicitation info for each of these right here. I'm going to go ahead and go briefly over the creative team, then I punt it to you. You give me your reaction. I jump in with mine, and we keep kind of bouncing back and forth. What, are, what do you think? Love it. Ah, perfect. Now let's go ahead and start off with uh, with a book that uh, should make uh, some serious waves, uh, and that is Avengers number one. The relaunched Avengers book is written by Jed McKay with penciler C. F. Via Via Villa Via. It, it, the yeah. L's are silent, right? Yeah. So Via. No, the, the L's two L's make a Y sound. Via. Okay. Thank you. Uh, it's good to have a resident expert uh, on staff here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, cover artist is Stuart Imonen. Uh Here is the official uh, solicit from Marvel Comics. Jed McKay and Stormbreaker C.F. Via take the reins of Earth's mightiest heroes. The star, the icon, the witch, the construct, the god, the engineer, the king. The world is ever in peril and a new team of Avengers mobilizes to meet any dangers that dare threaten the planet. But when Terminus attacks, a new and insidious danger rears its head one that the Avengers know all too well, and one that comes to them in the most dangerous of guises, that of a friend. Uh, the issue was released on May 17th, 2023. Chris, 
Um, you're probably a little bit more well-versed in Avengers reading than I am. I'm very curious to hear your take on this first issue of this new Avengers run. Funny you say that, um, but I'm going to steal your thunder here, pun fully intended, with my doppelganger. Um, this is a this is a Justice League comic, right? Yeah, uh, I'll I'll talk more about my take on this, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I kind of agree. It felt very Justice Leaguey, didn't it? It's very much, and 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 you know what? It's whether it's the Mister Bean meme or not, I don't care. It's amazing. Like it's a great comic. Um, I, I I gushed about Al Ewing earlier, but but dude, Jed McKay's right there too. Jed McKay and CF Via, whom I loved on uh, the Black Cat series, it's almost like they they got the call up to use another baseball reference, like Al did earlier in his interview. It's like they got called up to the big leagues. Um, I absolutely love everything that Jed has done with the character of Black Cat. It's a character I adore. Um, and then CFVA, I think it was the second volume of that that CFVA did the art on. And then, you know, the Dream Team is back together here for the the A++ title. Um, it's it's funny you say that. The only Avengers that I've read, um, if I'm remembering correctly, is the Hickman stuff. And um, the first 30 issues or so maybe 40 issues of the much maligned era that we just left in Jason Aaron. I'm kind of dabbling in and out. It's very polarizing. And I think this is a much needed fresh start for everybody to take a deep breath as we go into a new era. Um, I think the Aaron run is ambitious from what I've read. Again, I have not finished it. I think it's ambitious, but I have enjoyed it. I think it's fun. Um, not everything works. Sometimes it's like, I'm going to keep using baseball references. It's like one of those big sluggers. They either hit a home run or they strike out swinging. You know what I'm saying? They're swinging it. They're swinging at balls outside the strike zone and they look silly. That's the Jason Aaron run on Avengers. In my opinion, based on what I've read, at least of it, probably 60 to 70% of that run. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I actually, I've read a little bit of Avengers, but my era was sort of the Bendis era, believe it or not. I read sort of the new Avengers, Mighty Avengers stuff um, and and found a lot of enjoyment in some of that, at least. But, uh, you know, not that familiar with like, you know, lengthy Avengers history or all the nuances of the team and everything. And I will agree 100% that this felt in so many different ways, almost like a DC book. Uh, it's very much sort of the, the, the typical Justice League approach, right? Where you have... Uh, a leader or a leadership that is sort of like handpicking the members that happens quite a bit in Justice League history. I love right? that trope. I love that trope. Like that nonlinear bounce back and forth, like flashback as to why they're on the team. And Exactly. And I love centering Carol as that. And I'm not the biggest Carol fan, but this might win me over. And there is a there's a moment in there where she's talking to Tony that I absolutely love because it gives me like Grant Morrison vibes on 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 JLA, which is that uh, 
you know, Carol says we're we're not we're not police, we're firefighters. You know, we're we're there to to rush in, and that reminds me of some something that Superman said to to Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, in the old JLA, which is we're you know we're not here to to fix the world, we're here to catch them when they fall. You know, and I and I love that approach to superhero storytelling. You know, this is this is not the police, right? These are these are firefighters. That's a great great analogy. Yeah, I love I love that line because it's like a it's almost like breaking the fourth wall. It's a it's a wink at the audience because of the Avengers are cops like joke in that, uh, especially in their interactions with with the mutant population of the X Men, they come across as cops. And like, I love the the wink at the audience in that. I thought I thought it was great, like meta kind of breaking the fourth wall, so to speak. And and telling us, you know, you're in safe hands with this run. We're not we're not playing that mm-hmm. game, you know. Like the, 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 these are superhero stories. These are heroes that rush in to save lives, not to, you know, police the world or something. And I and I love that. Yeah. So there, there's definitely like almost a DC vibe to, to yeah, right uh, down to the right down to the world ending gigantic villain. Like I got Starro the Conqueror vibes from. Yeah, and I love that they they I love that they kicked off with Terminus right here like this because you know, kicking off with a huge villain like that and then everybody commenting on how weird he's acting and him running around saying, you know, there's something coming, there's something coming. You immediately up the stakes by basically using a huge villain who's running scared from something worse. It's a, it's a very much a nice, uh, a nice way to kick this thing off. And I, I do want to say the art was really, yeah. really good, man. Like it looked mm-hmm. great. Yeah. I, and speaking of maligned runs, um, Jason Aaron is kind of wiping the sweat from his brow with what John Ridley has done on Black Panther. I don't know if you're keeping up or at least kind of seeing periphery what's happening. Um, It is one of the most collectively, I'm going to go with disliked runs on a character that I've seen in a long time. I tapped out after about three or four issues of this one. I think I even nerd commended it, but they have, he has gone in a completely different direction. So TLDR spoilers, I guess. Um, T'Challa had sleeper agents throughout the world, and then he's been now exiled from Wakanda. It's it's wild stuff, but that's making chicken salad out of chicken. You know what? With what with what they've done here, and and it's a really interesting. Is kind of like giving this dark aspect to the character of T'Challa. They call him the world's most dangerous man. Um, so that was interesting. And how are you going to work around that? And um, for I think I speak for a lot of people, fans of Black Panther. We are get thankfully we're getting a new run, a new creative team. Uh, e viewing is taking over. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out, what I love, oh, I was like I haven't read a lot of Vision comics. I, he does. He's not popped up a lot. I'm getting so much like data next generation vibes from this vision storyline of like, what does it mean to be a man or a a human or a sentient being? Like, I think that, I don't know if you saw it, you, we, you're, you've made your feelings on next generation well known, but there is one episode of TNG in particular where they put data on trial as to whether or not he's a sentient person or if he's an Android. And it's just, I'm getting the same vibes from this opening scene with vision and i love it what's what's hilarious to me is that you know to to stick with the dc parallels for me this is actually 
um, very much reminiscent of stuff that they've done in JLA, uh, in Justice League comic books with Red Tornado. Uh, it's very much sort of the, sa- the same underpinning. Like, man, as a DC guy for most of my life, and, you know, I read a lot of Marvel, but DC is sort of where I'm at home. It's where I started reading when I was a kid. It, this felt so much in so many different ways like a DC book. Um, it, it's It's very, very odd to see something that feels tonally DC being applied to Marvel, but in a very, very cool way. Um, and I think this run has great, great potential to be something really different and special for, for an Avengers comic book. Yeah. And I'm market because I'm famously Wanda ambivalent, but that opening scene was really cute too, with the tea party. <laughs> I'm just going to, I just want to point out that that is, that is straight vibe from the current Scarlet, Scarlet Witch book, which is probably one of my favorite Marvel books that they're putting out right now. If you have not been reading the Scarlet Witch solo, you really ought to, man. Uh, they, they have done some heavy lifting in that series to make that character fascinating from, from the redesign to, to the characterization. Uh, it, I think you would really, really find yourself enjoying something. If you can disconnect a little from the past history of the character, um, you would find something there that you'd really love. And the art is beautiful on Scarlet Witch. I was just I was blown away top to bottom by that book. Did not expect it to be that darn good. Yeah. Our friend Ash uh, on X of Words had Steve Orlando uh, for what was supposed to be a 10-minute episode, but you know how that show works. Turned out yeah. into like an hour, hour and a half. Um, but I, And I really appreciate kind of like that deep dive on the creative process that Steve... It, and, and every. I, I think I, I think Steve is a great, great creator. Um, similarly ambitious. Like not everything that Steve does works for me, but I've heard great things about the Scarlet Witch title. And my God, <laughs> I'm so Wanda ambivalent and agnostic that I'm I'm trying to resist, but I, I might have to check it out. Worth worth the price of admission, my friend. I'm not joking. It is really good, especially if you have, you know, Marvel Unlimited. Anyways, the price of mm-hmm. admission is practically zero. All right, so it looks like our verdict on Avengers is what, Chris? I gave it an A plus. I absolutely loved it. I immediately texted you after I read it. I was like, you have to read it, and then we texted later about it that day. Um, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This is this is A plus uh, issue one. You know, lays Probably out a really. What- in- Strongest starts. Easily, yeah. I mean, lays out of just uh, all the characters and their relationships in a really cool, efficient way. Um, jumps right into strong action, unfolds a mystery of what you know what's coming all within one issue. It, it's, you know, it does, it does a lot of heavy lifting and does so effortless, effortlessly. Like, I really, really love this issue. And, and I, I'm sad to reminisce on this because we know how that run ended, but this is the strongest start that I've read, at least in a Marvel comic, since... Um, Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man issue one. I remember being on such a high from that. Oh issue. hush you! Don't 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 even hush you! <laughs> don't 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 <laughs> sound. Please, I don't want to. I don't want to jinx it, but yeah, really don't. Please, just don't. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's go ahead and turn our attention to DC Comics next uh, with uh, Superman number one. Uh, Superman number one, written by Joshua Williamson, with art by interior art by Jamal Campbell. Uh, what what a rare treat that is. Let's be honest, right? Uh, this issue has uh, is been on sale for a little while already. It was launched in February, February 21st of 2023. Um, and this is sort of a, a new era for uh, our Man of Steel. Here is uh, the official solicitation information. 
It's the dawn of DC. Superman has returned to Metropolis, and his greatest enemy, Lex Luthor, is finally behind bars. The future of the Superman family has never been brighter. As Clark Kent settles back into his life, iconic and new enemies erupt from the shadows to strike down the Man of Steel. But waiting in the wings to back up Big Blue is Supercorp? What secret project has Lex given to Superman? A hero is only as good as their villains will be put to the test in this brand new oversized number one featuring comics greatest superhero by DC Comics architect Joshua Williamson and award-winning superstar artist Jamal Campbell. So Chris, your reaction to uh, Superman number one. Yeah, so it's been a while since I read this, um, so I'm kind of getting a refresher, but I mean, my overarching thing, and I want to, hang on, let me punt back a minute. One of the reasons um, you pitched this episode and I was right on there with it is we have a lot of folks um, in our audience that are like, you know, coming newcomers to comics or newcomers to characters. Maybe you've been a longtime comic book reader, but you're you want to jump on. and You don't know if this is a good spot. And so this is kind of a rare time where we're getting a lot of number ones. Um, and so, like, are they new reader friendly? And And I found that this issue very much was as someone who has read a a decent amount of Superman comics, thanks to you and your evangelism. Um, uh, And I thought it was very new reader friendly of, of course, the overarching thing for me is I was just mesmerized by uh, Jamal Campbell's art as I was on, um, as I was on far sector. And so sometimes it, 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 this one took me a, a little bit longer to read simply because I was just gawking at the art. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm very intrigued to to pick this back up. I've kind of been distracted by games and other comics I'm reading, and I've kind of fallen off after enjoying this first issue. But I'm excited to dive back in. So it's not been you know uh, it's it's been obviously a while for us recording this right now. When we've uh, you know read this, I totally agree with you. I actually paged back through it just to kind of refresh my memory a little bit. Um, and I have to say, like uh, this is this is really really strong as far as like Superman storytelling goes. Um, it's sort of a new start in a lot of ways. Absolutely, you know, we had this this run of Superman where he's like gladiator style out in a war world for a little while, and this is him coming back, uh, which means we're getting you know a lot of stuff reestablished. You know, the Daily Planet takes uh, you know uh, sort of a prominent role again. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff uh, as far as like Lois's and Clark's relationship. Lois is now uh, like stepped in and is acting as the Perry White, so to speak, of um, as the editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, since Perry's out, he had, uh, you know, a health incident. And so that suits uh, Lois actually really well. But I think uh, the, the two centerpieces of this first issue that immediately sort of grab you, to me at least, is number one, the, this really cool new relationship that they've got going on between Lex Luthor and Superman. It's a very cool, different dynamic than what we're used to between the two. So Lex is in jail. But he also swears up and down. He's trying to help Superman. He's trying to make him, you know, a better Superman to the point where he actually like turns over LexCorp basically to Superman. Uh, that they're supposed to be like his support system, and you know, there's like something else going on here. Um, but but just the, the dynamic between those two and how they talk to each other and stuff, and Superman's unwavering, you know, like at, attempt to still redeem Lex Luthor even after all this time is just so on brand for Superman. I love that. Uh, the other thing is, uh, and this was sort of a mission statement, I think, from from Williamson from the top uh, in some interviews that I read. He said that he wants to play around and sort of 
upgrade slash reinvent some of his classic villains. And he starts here with uh, the Parasite. And there's some really cool wild stuff right at the end of the issue that launches into like the next couple issues later on that he does with Parasite to kind of like, you know, reinvent him a little bit and change some stuff about him. Um, and up the threat, basically, that he poses. And it's really, really cool. Um, and, and then, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that Jamal Campbell is like, uh, just a superstar and anytime he does interiors you know on whatever he does interiors i want to read it um his work on far sector was ridiculous and so then he did like a bunch of covers forever and now we're finally getting him on, on interiors again and not just any interiors but superman interiors this book is gorgeous man it's just absolutely beautiful um so i, I love this first issue of superman it, it, it's interesting to me, and I have all the respect in the world for creators who take on characters like Superman, like Spider-Man, um, characters who have such a long history that it is <clears throat> kind of to detail what Al was saying in that interview. It's like it's like a personal challenge. Like, how do you make stuff new? And I don't want to diverge too much, but it's interesting the parallel of Lex Luthor being allied with Superman and now Norman Osborn being allied with Peter Parker, like happening at the same time, different scenarios, different type of shenanigans. Um, but it is interesting kind of to see that parallel. Um, yeah, I, I definitely need to tap back into this. All right. So just looking at Superman number one, what kind of grade would you give that one as an, as a starting salvo for a new series? I'm giving it an A and I know that I'm a generous grader, in most aspects but like anything with jamal campbell on art <laughs> you're gonna have to come with like some horrendous script to give it anything below an a but i think it's it's really cute um like clark being in the dorky little dad baseball cap is just perfect the loose and tight like i love everything about his fit um it's it just clicks and it works for me that's exactly right. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that as well. This is definitely an A book. Um, and obviously, you know, we have the the benefit on this book that it's been out for a little while and there's been a couple more issues. And, uh, you know, the book does go from strength, strength to strength as it continues. So uh, this, this is good stuff. All right. Uh, pivoting back to uh, Marvel Comics for a second, uh, we have a, uh, a very different uh, approach very to a... Different. Yeah, to a long-running team here uh, with Guardians of the Galaxy number one, published on April 12th, 2023. Writers are Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, pencilers Kev Walker. Uh, and here is the official solicitation for Guardians of the Galaxy number one. One year ago, the Guardians of the Galaxy were destroyed, their optimistic future shattered by the betrayal of one of their own. Now they ride the space lanes of a lawless corner of the galaxy, trying to outrun their tragedy. Can they rediscover their heroism and humanity on the bleakest frontier? Can they forgive the failures of their past, or will they fade into the dark, eternally unforgiven? Writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, uh, who uh, previously collaborated on Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, team up with artist Kev Walker of Predator fame for a Guardian's story like no other. Um, and I think that is probably... Uh, most definitely the most accurate solicitation ever, a Guardians story like no other. Chris, what are your thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy number one? Dude, this one hit me 
like uh, something. I can't think of a metaphor right now because I, I just really am digging. And and as you said, this one premiered uh, not not quite as long ago as Superman, but we've had since issue two, which I thoroughly loved as well. Um, it makes me want to check out those Captain America books that Jackson um, that 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 these that these two are writing on um, because I've heard great things about them. Um, but this just, uh, Colin Kelly, Jackson Lanzig, sorry, uh, Lanzig, uh, blank for a second, but this, so much about this works for me. Like I am, I'm, I'm easy to please, uh, when it comes to space Westerns and this like is so unapologetically a space Western, um, down, right down to, um, like the puns in the titles, um, I forget the the subtitle of the second issue, but it's like a fistful of Mysterium or something like that. Some random space metal that's been recently created. Um, it's it, not it's, random. It's X. It's X Men related. Is I, I know you know all it's about this. Still, still random. It hasn't been picked back up really in X Men comics. So, <laughs> uh, but here it is. Um, I I love I love 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 this book um I'm, I'm also coming off the heels of just absolutely loving volume three uh of gardens of the galaxy the film um and so i've kind of done a deep dive i've been ravenously loving this book um i've been punting back and and reading uh the abnet uh the dan abnet and andy lanning stuff um that's that's what messed me up landing and lansing that's what messed me up earlier um but <sighs> I, and I love that as well. That one um, is probably an upcoming nerd commendation. I'm just about halfway through it. Um, if you liked the Guardians of the Galaxy um, video game that was recently released, which wholeheartedly nerd commend, um, very much so. Um, it, it seems like that game took a lot of inspiration of the Abnet and Landing stuff. And so like the movies have kind of been like an entry point for and, and like I've already loved these characters based on the movies but like now getting like filling out that context I love them even more in the comics and um I mean I I I'm just so happy reading these books they're so fun um and like this cast of misfits like it just works for me yeah, so the space western thing, first of all, is absolutely awesome. Um, I always loved that approach to like storytelling, you know, taking the whole space to final frontier thing a little literally and, you know, transposing the whole cowboy mentality on it is kind of cool. <laughs> I have to say, it's just neat. Um, visually, also very distinctive and interesting. And I think that's something that this book really has going for it in that it just doesn't look like any other Guardians book so far, right? So visually, it's very, very distinctive. Tonally, I think, from the, at least from the Guardians books that I've read, it's very, very distinctive as well. Um, and so that that really is something it has going for it. I also think um, it is worth noting <laughs> uh, that I, I have to invoke he who must not be named. Uh, but uh, this does feel, in some respects, a little bit Firefly-ish um, in, in the space Western approach with the characters, uh, that are a bunch of misfits stuck together and not trying to make their way right down to the fact that I think in like the second issue, they, they do a heist, right? Um, so it, it feels, it feels reminiscent in some ways of a Firefly with perhaps a slightly harder edge to it than, uh, than Firefly had. And so, um, that's, 
that's cool uh, because I adored Firefly back in the day. And so uh, this, this sort of felt like a natural uh, book to connect with. There's also really good mystery going throughout, right? Um, with the whole, like, what, what happened with, with Groot, right? I'm, I'm very curious to see what's going on there. Um, but yeah, I, I think Guardians works really well as a property when they are not these well this well-established superhero team but wa- rather just a group of of losers right that are out there trying to make their way i think i think that really suits the property and i from what i've read you know in recent years the the, the book has kind of moved away from that notion and kind of made them more traditional superhero team right and so bouncing back to this like band of misfits outlaws trying to make their way in the universe that's that's i think a really really smart move for this book um, so I, f- I found that really, really interesting, and I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes next. And not to invoke his name again, but um, I really loved Al Ewing's run on the title, and so I'm interested to see like all of the developments, especially, particularly with Peter Quill. How is that going to come into play? Because we haven't really seen that come into play yet um, in either of the first two issues. Um, but but yeah, I'm 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 absolutely in love with this title. It's one of those things that I immediately read. I I think I read um, issue two first thing in the morning. So grade, what would you grade this thing overall? I'm listen. I'm 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 happy right now, man. I'm I'm giving this one an A. Um, the art. Uh, some people have kind of nitpicked, but I think it works here, especially with kind of these like different looking will go different looking aliens and stuff i think it works for this title specifically so it's not like this art style would be the first one that you're gonna like ooh and awe over but i think it works for this particular book and and i I, i'm telling you what gamora is becoming one of my favorite characters in marvel comics and i think she's a superstar it's very very interesting that you say that people are not enjoying this art you can see that i'm sort of uh um, disconnected a little bit from the social media in recent uh, weeks. <laughs> I've not been spending that much time on social media um, because, yeah, because I have to say I I don't really see um, I don't really see that at all. Like I think the mm-hmm. art in this is fantastic for the kind of story it's telling. I think it's a great match between uh, between story and art. I think it's right? fit. Like some, yes, fit. Yes, yes. exactly. Exactly, and I think that that's sometimes. Um, I think that's sometimes difficult to achieve, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the art is beautiful, but it doesn't necessarily tonally match, you know? And I think here, uh, absolutely it tonally matches. So I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of this art. So yeah, I, I'm I'm very enthusiastic about this uh, this book as well. Uh, I, I think this one's really good. I don't think it, um, it does as good as Avengers and um superman is like establishing what's going on a little bit um like i think for example with uh avengers in particular sort of that the way it's structured you kind of get a very clear sense of each of the characters very quickly and as somebody who has not read that many guardians of the galaxy comic books especially in recent years it was a little disorienting to kind of try to figure out who's who and what their characterization is like and what their relationships are like as opposed to for example the mcu guardians right yeah um so, so I think it, it left me a little bit struggling in that regard. So I think I still think this is super, super strong. Uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, I think it's maybe more like an A minus for me, uh, as yeah. opposed to uh, Avengers, which I think was just like knocked it out of the ballpark and just really establishing 
even for new readers, like ground level, these are these people and this is their relationship and this is the threat. You know, I, I think that was a little smoother as far as storytelling goes. I think some of that, not to disagree with you, but I think some of that might have been like they're still playing some of this close to the vest, I think, in this opening arc to kind of see how things kind of unfold. But I, I don't disagree with you. Um, one final note on this one, though. It's interesting that you say that Kev Walker, I think you said Predator was the other title that, that, that he's that's, that's what the, That's what they had in the solicitation, and it, yeah. And the Grootfall thing, God, that makes so much sense. And that's, I think that in and of itself is so fascinating, especially as a juxtaposition with like how we've fallen in love with, with Groot in the MCU entries um, and even in the comics in the past. But seeing them, uh, seeing Groot as like this big bad, it was just like, whoa, I was not ready for that. Yeah, it, it also raises the question of, you know, what exactly is going on with him? Is he really the big bad or is this like more like a force of nature kind of situation? You know, like a tornado is not a big bad, you know. I mean, it's it's an antagonist for sure, in, 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 you know, as far as nature is concerned. But I wouldn't, you know, ascribe maliciousness to it. So I think um, I, th- there's a lot of stuff still up in the air about this title. All right, that brings us to our final new number one. And this one, too, is a doozy. We're looking at Titans number one, written by Tom Taylor and art by the incomparable Nicholas Scott. Uh, here is... You're not uh, kidding. Jesus wheezes. Holy uh, Nicholas, N- Nicholas Scott is is just a superstar in my book. Like, there, there is absolutely... Nothing better than getting a hold of some Nicholas Scott. Uh, did she uh, absolutely did fantastic work on Earth Two uh, back in back in the day? Um, she did work on Birds of Prey that I absolutely adored. Like like there is there is nothing uh, art wise that she's touched that's not absolutely fantastic. I think there was uh, some work on Wonder Woman as well, Secret Six. Um, I just, oh my God, like Nicholas Scott. Anyways, I, I, I digress severely here. Uh, uh, the book came out uh, on May 16th, 2023. Uh, it is essentially a spinoff of Nightwing to the point where Tom Taylor is writing right now both Nightwing and Titans. And here is the official solicitation information. Uh, the Dark Crisis is over and the Justice League is no more. Now a new team must rise and protect the Earth. Titans go. The Teen Titans are ready to grow up. Each member has joined... As a much younger hero, certain that one day they'd be invited to join the Justice League. But the time has come for them not to join the League, but to replace it. Are the no longer teen heroes ready for the big leagues? Danger lurks around every corner as heroes and villains alike challenge the new team before they've even begun. While the DCU... Will the DCU ever be the same? Find out in this landmark first issue brought to you by the all-star creative team of Tom Taylor, Nightwing and Deceased, and Nicholas Scott, Wonder Woman, Historia, and Earth 2. So, Chris, your reaction to Titans number one? I already spoiled it. Jesus Christ to this art. It's <laughs> it's breathtaking. Like, I I read this just a peek behind the curtain. Couldn't sleep last night. And so I read this at 2 a.m. And like it was it was just mesmerizing, man. Um, and just I'm gonna go off on a tangent here. Dave, I don't know. This Avengers Avengers was my nerd commendation, so I had to scramble for another nerd commendation. Um I apologize. <laughs> what I what I wanted to nerd commend, but I don't it's not nerdy. I'm walk with me here. Jury duty on Prime 
is one of the greatest reality shows in recent memory. Fascinating. Go watch Jury Duty. It's not a nerdy property. All the same, go watch it. You can binge it in like one sitting. It's like eight 30-minute episodes. Like you can you can binge it. I say that because my guy James Marsden. How I love thee, James Marsden. And I'm so sorry that one of my favorite X-Men characters, one of my favorite comic book characters, was perfectly cast and absolutely squandered by Fox. He's such a perfect Cyclops. And where are you going with this, Chris? What is this all? Nightwing looks like James Marsden in this comic book. He does kind of, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're and not wrong. Listen, listen. That's a perfect casting for Dick Grayson, let me tell you. James Gunn. James Marsden. Nightwing. Make it happen. Now, maybe they probably want to go younger with the role, but Jesus. That... Uh, Okay, sorry, tangent over. I really, really dug this issue. Like, Tom Taylor, what he's been doing on Nightwing, I'm hilariously behind. I just started the Taylor run. I'm only like five or six issues in. Um, I'm all over the place when it comes to my reading habits and gaming habits. Um, I absolutely, this was, I mean, like, this was, like, a really easy-to-pick-up stuff. I've never read any Teen Titans before. I know peripherally about them because I've watched Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go with the Kids. And I know about about them peripherally and like Young Justice and like I get the vibe. I suffered through uh, the first, almost the first season of Titans. Um, Anna Diop is without reproach. She is perfect. Cast her in everything. And I'm sorry that she had to suffer through that show. Especially everything that came to light. She's the only reason to even entertain watching that show. Um, but yeah, like I really dug this issue. Um, and even like the stuff that I didn't understand, I didn't really find any continuity issues. Um, poor one out for your boy. <laughs> but, um, Oh, only... oh I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. That's, that's, yeah, I, I didn't, I'm not either, but it is, it is a great hook for a first issue. Um, even oh, if yeah. it was telegraphed. Um, the only thing that I am seeing, um, kind of, and I don't know enough context, so you'll have to help me out here. Raven kind of being whitewashed. Walk me through that. I'm not really sure. Um, I would have to really, it, you know, it's the new T Titan stuff is really before my time. I, you know, I've tried to kind of get back into that and get a better sense for like the introduction of Raven and what the, um, you know, initial like intent was as far as like, you know, I believe they made her South Asian, like the the remedial research that I did. And feel free to sound off in social media, correct us. But my understanding in my very brief research is that she was inspired by someone of South Asian descent. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, sincerely, um, I, I don't know much about um, the, the the racial background of, of Raven. Um, so I would have to probably do some... Um, I'd probably have to do some research to be honest with you. Um, I, I I don't think I can walk you through that one to be honest. Um, I can I can I can look into it. I'm very curious now because um, you know my familiarity with the character is kind of um, fractured. I guess um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of of these characters, uh, and I have read some of their stuff, but I don't think it's ever really been telegraphed in any interesting way. Uh, what her ethnicity was supposed to be. 
So at least not in the stuff I have read. So I'm, I'm, I would have to do some uh, serious research to try to figure that one out. All right. So what's your, what's your initial reaction to this issue then, Dave? I really, really like it. Yeah, I think it's a good start. I mean, it's it's of a cloth, obviously, of Taylor's work with Nightwing. So if you're enjoying mm-hmm. that Nightwing run, right down to that, right down to the tower now being in Bloodhaven. Yes, I I think if you if you like the Titan, uh, if you like the Nightwing run, then you're probably going to like this Titan run. Um, my enthusiasm is maybe not as as big as some of the other stuff we've been talking about because for, I think the bar for me is extremely high with this particular set of characters, you know, they have kind of become over the years, like, you know, extended media stars with their cartoons and stuff. And uh, every time that they try to relaunch this original team in some kind of new form, it always just ends up fizzling out really fast. And the people involved don't really do the job very well of telling interesting Titan stories. (laughs) So I'm hoping that Taylor does better in that regard. Right. Um, I think he's, he's doing a decent job with like the, the, the character interactions and who they are to each other and how they relate to each other. I think that really works, but I also think that's Taylor's strength on Nightwing. I think in Nightwing in particular, um, the character stuff and how characters relate to each other that's really the strength of that book even if the conflicts aren't always the most interesting you really are there for the character stuff and i think that kind of approach works really really well for titans but i think if you're going to do good titan storytelling that kind of reaches the heights of some of the past stuff that is still so revered you're going to have to make sure that you mix the interesting character approach to really interesting threats and interesting conflicts as well uh, is the potential for that here? Absolutely. It's kind of hard telling off the bat. And talking about pouring one out for my boy, you know, spoiler alert, but ending on like Wally West is dead, even though we all know he's not, and this is some kind of like kickoff for the story, considering how much crap that character has been through at DC <laughs> over the last few years, maybe pick a different character to murder kill the first issue. Like, just give Wally a break. He just came off a really good run on the Flash, right? And uh, and I was just thrilled to see him kind of like restored to some kind of like prominence and, and uh, you know, having a decent... Uh, approach to the character and then it's like hey we're going to relaunch the titans let's go ahead and kill him off here real quick i'm like come on man can you just get off a wally for a second jesus christ so um you know as a fan of 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 this version of the flash that felt a little weird but overall I, i have to say i liked it i'm interested to see where it's going yeah it's it's funny kind of seeing this juxtaposed against the avengers um title and so like you see like a half-hearted approach with that big monstrous villain with titano and then he's pretty easily handled um the bigger thing that i'm is kind of giving me hope for future issues is peacemaker and his chrome calzone that he has on top of his head (laughs) that chrome I'm going to start calling him the Chrome Calzone now. That's it. That's just, he's not Peacemaker. <laughs> That's what it looks he's, like. It. He's the Chrome Calzone, like. yeah. But like, um, like that whole idea of being uh, an extended arm of like the military industrial complex of the United States. Um, and then, of course, that was a bluff because it was really Waller. Um and then, like, kind of the statements that we we work for the world and the inter- and not the interest of one nation. Uh, and then, you know, your girl Donna Troy, make, you know, like she's up in a big time now. Um, 
she said it's not my country and raven says i was born in another dimension so like that was <laughs> that was probably my favorite exchange uh is the whole chrome calzone uh minute and it's interesting too because i think it, what what we'll have to uh come to realize here is that that is not necessarily uh you know the main focus for um titans uh, I think it's probably fair to say that that is the main focus for the DC universe because P- uh, Peacemaker and uh, Waller have been popping up here, there, and everywhere as of late. Um, so I think they're kind of being set up, if not as a big bad, then certainly as a major player in, um, you know, in this whole situation going forward. Uh, they're they're definitely being set up as big players in the DC universe in whatever this this dawn of DC. Uh, overarching storyline ends up being. Um, so although I like that exchange, I thought it was really cool, you know, how, how the characters sort of like, you know, put their foot down and everything. I, I understand that the bulk of whatever that is hinting at is probably not going to be playing out in Titans, you know? Um, so I'm still, I'm still, I guess, looking for the big hook other than we killed Wally, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, I'm still waiting for what the big hook is for for this book other than, hey, look, it's these characters you love and we're putting out a book with them. And I mean, that's nice and all because I love these characters and I really want a book with them. But, um, you know, I've been here before and I've seen this happen before and this better be good in the long run, <laughs> you know? So what's your final verdict on this one if you had to give it a grade? Very much, and that kind of is is kind of what I'm going with. Like, I think, I think this one kind of just coasted on vibes more so than the others. And, and very much the sentiment that you just said, Hey, you remember these characters that you love? They're finally in a title together. So that's the overarching thing. And that's why I'm giving it like a B because I'm, I'm a big vibes person. I love coasting on vibes, but it just didn't grab me the way that the other books did. See, it's hilarious you said that because that's exactly my approach as well. I was giving this one a B as well. Okay, it's time. It's time to talk about Amazing Spider-Man. That's we agree too much. No, come at me, bro. I'm ready. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's it there's really, a chasm between. <laughs> Jesus. Um. So I'm gonna go to Taco Bell and order a Baja Blast just for you. <laughs> One for me and one for my homies. Um, so no, I, I tell you what, uh, this is. I think this is a good book. I think it has potential to be a great book, um, if if the opportunity isn't squandered. And I think, like you said, it's coasting a lot on vibes and on absolute gorgeous artwork. That um, mm-hmm. now, now, if we can get some really strong storytelling in there, interesting mysteries, uh, great villains, you know. And really, if the Titans are supposed to be the replacement for the Justice League, right? Because the Justice League is disbanded. Which we buried the lead with that. We buried the lead with that, yeah. Yeah, then this needs to be a huge book. And I don't think this first issue felt huge, right? And I think that's what we're missing. I I want to see the Titans go up against Justice League-level threats. I mean that that's really the promise of this book. So let's do it. Let's let's make them the big dogs in the DC uh universe and and let them go up against, you know, some really heavy hitters and see what they do. I would be totally there for that, but I don't think we're there yet. Can you give me the TLDR version of Dark Crisis and what what kind of set that up cuz that was intriguing and the only real continuity thing I'm like, okay, that seems like it was a big thing. Should I read it? Is it worthwhile? Eh. Nope. Eh, it's, <laughs> it's it's all right. Like I'm not just take it and run with it. We fumbled the baton. 
I can't say that it's bad, okay? I also can't really say that it's great, right? Um, there's a lot of stuff spinning out of Dark Crisis right now, um, but the, the the base setup was not that interesting. There were some really cool moments in it, but the overarching story kind of left me cold. It was also still a part of that big push towards like, you know, Black Adam is coming out soon and the balance of power in the DC universe is changing. So we have to have big Black Adam involvement, right? So there's like a whole scene where Black Adam shares like his power with all the DC heroes and they all like in Black Adam outfits. And it's just like, you know, in, in retrospect, it feels really silly in that regard, right? Like how hard it pushes Black Adam. Um, so it's, it's, it's all right, but it was like in, in the grand scheme of crises, it's not, not really that interesting. Alrighty folks, there you have it. Is there, are there any, uh, number ones you think we should be talking about that we were remiss to discuss? What are your thoughts on these, uh, four, first four issues here? Uh, you can find us on social media at Nerd by Word and individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris. We would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Stick around. Uh, when we're back, it's time for Nerd Commendations. And we're back. What's good? Ask us. We know in this week's Chris, what are you nerd commending this week? Ooh, a video game. Yeah, and so it's interesting that you mentioned earlier you're taking time off from social media. Uh, And I think it's about time that I do as well. Uh, Just bury myself in the stuff that I love. Because I downloaded this game day one, Game Pass, the gift that keeps on giving. And it's been highly anticipated for me um, for a long time. Only and I and I like really enjoyed it. Only to find that it's getting review bombed for God knows what reason. Like I still can't make heads or tails of it. Something about FPS or what have you. And and my growing sentiment is that so many people, um, when it particularly, particularly in the gaming community, have become spoiled. And that's no ands if ands or buts about it. They've become spoiled. People are saying that Xbox is in a crisis because they've delayed games and this or that. And Redfall is such a huge disappointment. Like, come on, man. Like, we're really in an embarrassment of riches era when it comes to media, when it comes to gaming. I'm not going to sit here and complain a whole lot about a game that was no additional cost to me. I'm not going to spend my time and my energy. And when you actually play it, it's a really fun game, in my opinion. First-person shooter video game developed by Arcane Austin and published by Bethesda Softworks. The game was released for Windows, Xbox Series X and S on May the 2nd. Um, it's really fun, man. It's I know, I know this will this will be magic to your ears, uh, music to your ears. It gives me a lot of Left 4 Dead vibes, man. It's it's like, especially now as I'm like watching Buffy for the first time, getting to slay vampires. It's a lot of fun. Um, a lot of people have criticized the art for being derivative of Fortnite. But while I have my very clear feelings about Fortnite, isn't it the most popular game <laughs> out there right now? Like, why is that a bad thing? Um, I, I guess you want to go for originality, but I can easily distinguish this from Fortnite's art. Like, it's just like a cartoonish 
kind of feel to a game, which is fun. Like not everything has to be photorealistic. I don't listen to the haters play it for yourself. I really enjoy this, like running around killing vampires. It's very atmospheric. Um, the vampires are like whispering to you from the treetops. It creeps you the crap out. Um, it's really fun. If you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of vampire slaying, like give this game a look because I, I've not admittedly, I have not played, um, a good deal of the game. I've played probably five or six hours, but I've had a great time playing it. The, the, the little bit that I have. And so I recommend it. Um, you know, don't listen to the haters. Don't listen to the entitled people who just have to produce content on their YouTube channel with googly eyes on a vampire or Brie Larson play it for yourself. Especially if you have game pass, it's no additional cost. Give it a shot. Give it a whirl. I love it. I am going to give it a shot. Uh, this actually is uh, sounding really good. I'm still trying to set up game streaming uh, on my Steam Deck so I can go ahead and play my uh, my Xbox on that thing. Um, and as soon as I do, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm a huge fan of Left 4 Dead. Uh, one and two both. I played the crap out of those games. I don't even want to know how many hours I, I logged in that. And so that approach to to you know horror gaming is is all fine by me and uh and i'm right there with you that i don't appreciate so that the 60 fps snobs right right oh no that game that game is running at a lock 30 frames per second it's unplayable Get out the first time i played ocarina of time it was running at a at a solid 20 frames per second at most <laughs> and in in really busy times it sometimes dropped down to like 12 and i thought it was the greatest game of all time you know like if it gives you joy and if you're having fun playing it i don't care if it's running at 30 or at 60 frames per second that's just absolute silliness um so you know i'm also not you know one of those one of those resolution snobs that's like unless it runs at 4k it's not very good you know like ugh, that's just all crap that's one of the things i appreciate about nintendo you know i mean say what you will about the company and there's a lot of bad things we can say they have some really shoddy practices but they never chase like the biggest and most powerful as far as like graphics output and hardware goes they're like we will convince you with our gameplay and that is really where i'm at i prefer just really good gameplay so if the gameplay is good i'm definitely going to give redfall a chance and uh, i neglected to mention what's really a fascinating kind of gameplay aspect about this is there are two types of villains at least that i have encountered so far in the storyline um there are these cult followers that are just standard run-of-the-mill people. You could just shoot them up. But then the vampires, you can take their health down, but you can only finish them, finish them, um, by staking them. And so you have to get close to them and stake them with the click of the right analog stick, which is fine if you've got one vampire. But if you're getting like an onslaught of like four or five vampires, you got to drain the health because if you don't stake them after a given amount of time, they regenerate to full health. So it's a really interesting gameplay aspect, especially if you're facing off against multiple vampires simultaneously. All right. So Dave, if we would have had, if we would have extended our big talk to five issues, this would have been the other number one there. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a new Green Arrow book, uh, and ironically, uh, it too is written by uh, Josh Williamson, the same dude who is uh, writing Superman right now. Um, and uh, I have to say, I am super pleased. Uh, so I'm actually one of those weirdos that really enjoys Green Arrow comic books. Uh, you know, above and beyond like something like Arrow, the TV show, or something. I'm just a fan of good Green Arrow books. Um, and I have to say that the characters of the quote unquote Arrow family 
uh, it's just been really weird over the years for them. They've done some really weird stuff, right? For example, uh, Oliver Queen was dead for a while and his son Connor Hawk became Green Arrow, which was really cool. He uh, was the Green Arrow uh, in um, uh, Morrison's JLA. Um, and and then that character kind of got shunted aside when, when Queen came back. Uh, you have the sort of on-again, off-again relationship between Oliver Queen and, and Black Canary, and, and that goes all over the place. Then you have, of course, uh, his original sidekick, Speedy, Roy Harper, who goes off the deep end doing drugs. And then is, there's an absolutely horrible miniseries where his, his daughter ends up dying and he really loses his mind. And it's just the characters have been um, through the ringer, so to speak. And so Williamson's approach here appears to be, let's go ahead and do storytelling that focuses on the Arrow family. Let's go ahead and put these characters together in a book and let them bounce off of each other in a way that hasn't really been done before. And so far it works. And there's a really cool meta undertone in the book. Um, So what they do is spinning out a dark crisis. uh, Oliver Queen is stranded once again, only instead of on an Island, this time he's stranded on an alien planet. Um, And the, the hook is that something is trying to keep this family apart. So every time that multiple members kind of come together, they randomly get transported somewhere else by like some alien technology or something. Like somebody is literally trying to keep them apart. And a key person in this effort, somebody who apparently knows what's going on, is lo and behold, Amanda Waller. So uh, Black Canary and Roy Harper make it their mission to try to track down Amanda Waller and find out why their family cannot be together in one place. Um, it's very, very cool to sort of take a meta approach to like, why did we never do a book like this where all the characters are together and kind of put that out there on the table. Um, and the characterization on all the characters seems really cool. There's a lot of, I think, uh, making up for past mistakes, especially in the first issue. Uh, and, you know, when they find um, Roy Harper's daughter alive and sort of, you know, you know, living on the streets and hiding out because she knows that their family can't be together. And they're, they're basically trying to to undo some of the really shoddy decisions of the past. And I think that uh, this book has the potential to turn into sort of a the definite Green Arrow family book, uh, just to see these characters bounce off of each other like this is really, really cool. Um, so, so far, so good. The series is two issues in. And uh, I'm loving it so far. I think it's definitely worth picking up to to get a dose of a different kind of Green Arrow book. Listen, I'm definitely checking this one out. I remember way back many moons ago, I want to say, well, it was it was the Rebirth era. I mean, I don't even have to think that hard. I think it was the Rebirth Green Arrow title. I had never read a single DC comic before. And correct me, is was it was it Rebirth where he had the little sister? Yes, yes. And uh, they they started kind of trying to restart the relationship between him and Black Canary. Yeah, it was a very, very good book. Rebirth was really good. Uh, So I read like the first 13 issues of that. And I remember immensely, immensely enjoying it to the fact that like I read so much of it, I like surpassed you and you were like, slow down. Um, (laughs) And that was the first DC book I ever read. And that was based on, you know, how much I was enjoying uh, Arrow, you know, the first two seasons. Unfortunately, everything was downhill from there. I think um, pretty much, uh, you know, uh, especially on the shoulders of Manu Bennett, uh, still one of the best on-screen villains that I think we've had on, at least in television. Just a master. Absolutely. And when you kill him off, like, 
there it goes. Um, so I'm definitely checking this one out because I, you know, listen, a swashbuckling hero, swashbuckling hero is chicken soup for my soul. So well, uh, you'll enjoy this one. Nightcrawler, swashbuckling, Green Arrow, I'm in. All righty, folks, there you have it. If you like what you just heard, find us uh, on all, any and all podcasting platforms. Drop us a rating and review. We would love to have you subscribe so you never miss another episode. You can find us everywhere podcasts can be found, including our very own spiffy website, nerdbyword.com. And please be sure to follow us. Hit us up on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at nerdbyword, individually, that nerd Dave, that nerd Chris. Um, and if you are much more well-versed in Raven and her backstory and her origin as well. Please enlighten a couple of honkies and help us out. But as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Thank mm-hmm. you.